0: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Richardson. He is the founder of ConsistentOptionsIncome.com. We're going to learn all about how to use options to produce a regular flow of income. Welcome to the show, John.
2: Excellent. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me.
1: Let's just start with your background a little bit and how you formed this newsletter, but even your background before you uh, got to this, uh, created this website.
2: Sure. I, um, in the 80s, I got, uh, you know, some of my first real jobs and I had some extra income I wanted to put to work. And so, like most people at the time, I just kind of stuffed it into some mutual funds. And um, I thought, after a while, you know, I can do better than this. So, uh, you know, I had a computer. Everything was said. I was going to predict the market, and you know, end of story. So I spent the next 10 years, uh, mostly in the 90s, writing mechanical trading systems for trade stations, for futures and stocks. And um, it was kind of a rough go. I mean, I had a lot of really just horrendous drawdowns. I think overall, I was profitable, but um, these you know, it was a miserable way to trade, because I had these huge drawdowns all the time. And so I started looking at options. And I really enjoyed the flexibility of options. And my thought process was instead of trying to predict what's going to happen next, I, I wanted to make money from the way I managed my trades. And options provided that. And so since about the late 90s, I've been, you know, trading mostly options. And um, around 2008, I decided because I heard a lot of, you know, what other things people were doing, especially from the, you know, the. Do- ComBust in 2000, 2001, Um, you know, I talked to a lot of traders who, um, you know, maybe were retired and all of a sudden had to go back to work because they lost so much of their savings. So I really saw a need uh, for people to be able to create an income from whatever wealth they've created. Uh, A lot of people just kind of get to retirement and just figure they're going to draw down on whatever wealth they've accumulated. But sometimes that's not enough. So at least to maintain their lifestyle. So it seemed to me there was a real need for um, people to be able to create an income from their wealth.
1: OK. So at ConsistentOptionsIncome.com, do you provide trades? Do you actually manage money for people? What do you actually do with that website?
2: Right. So I think over the course of time and you know my experience in the industry, I I, I, I For myself, I never really wanted to be dependent on someone else. So um, my perspective is I kind of created the course the way I would want it to be uh, presented for for myself. And so I basically give people the tools to be able to manage their own money using this method um, without, you know, a newsletter. I'm not giving trade alerts. Um, I think unless you can really sort of own the process, um, you know, it's very hard to be successful at it.
1: So you're giving them the, how to do it, but not actually buy or sell this particular options at this particular time, is that right?
2: Exactly. It's a pretty straightforward method. We only focus on uh, one trading vehicle. Even though it would work on other trading vehicles, we kind of focus on one trading vehicle. And you know the, lot, the, the rules are pretty straightforward. And I think if, with a little effort, uh, most people seem to be able to pick it up pretty quick. And, um, what, what is the one thing that you use uh, for your, your strategy? Um, well, I teach and I trade the Russell 2000 index options, the symbols oh. R-U-T. Um, in the course, I go into some you know reasons why I picked that index. But there's nothing curve-fitted about the methodology. You could use it on uh, just about any index products.
1: And what kind of returns uh, income. You're, you're aimed at income. So what kind of income can people uh, reasonably expect to earn using the strategy?
2: Right. So um, what we do is we target 5% per month. And that's one of the reasons I think the, the method is so consistent, is that instead of uh, going for really large returns, we're starting with a framework, a structure in our trade that has a more potential profit. But we're targeting just five percent. So, um, because we're we're able to, you know, target something that we can get early in the the life cycle of the trade, it's a much it increases the probability. So, uh, you know, with income, you know, we don't have like an investing career in order to build our wealth, right? That's not the perspective. The perspective is to get an income each month. So we get in sync with the options expiration cycle, and we target just five percent uh, each cycle.
1: And, and why do you use the Russell index? Of all the indexes you could use, in mean, liquidity, or what is it that that, that, that attracts you to that compared to all the other options out there?
2: Sure. Sure. One of the things is that it's European-style exploration, so uh, you don't have to worry about early assignment. I know um, people who are short options, um, sometimes they, they worry about that. Uh, we don't have any naked short options in our trade, uh, but we do have short options that could be assigned. Um, it's always a fixed risk, fixed margin trade, but it, some people worry about that, um, you know, being assigned early. So that's one advantage. Also, you know, it's also cash settled, so there's there's you can let things expire, and you don't have to be worried about um, being put stock or something like that. Um, also, I kind of like it in terms of its um, its behavior. Um, it, you know, two thousand stocks is a little bit harder to. Um, maybe it's a loaded term, but manipulate, or, uh, you know, there's so many funds that are focused on the S&P 500, there's so much activity that the Russell 2000 is a little bit more sedate, tends to gap a little bit less. Um, you know, it's not always true, but um, it's just a little bit harder to move. And we want, we want kind of a trading vehicle that's not as volatile. And so that works to our advantage.
1: I mean, normally people think of options trading, you want volatility uh, in order to make it you're going to reach your your uh, strike price within a particular period of time. Why is it that you are the opposite that you don't want volatility in your strategy?
2: Well, it's not so much that we don't want volatility, but we don't want large gap moves, right? Because we're adjusting our trade, so we want the opportunity to adjust at our prices. And if there's these large gaps sometimes in the overnight, um, it can make it difficult to get an adjustment on where we want it. Um, but in general, implied volatility whether it's high or low, doesn't seem to really affect the trade that much because we're long options and we're also short options. So it kind of balances out um, over time. So it's not not as big a factor as you, you might have in some other trading method.
1: So it's basically what you're doing a spread where you have uh, spreading either time or difference between different strike prices? What is the actual strategy that you're using?
2: Here? So um, we don't do any calendar. Type trades, in other words, we're not spread over expiration months. Um, it's not that's you know that's a legitimate way to trade, but the problem is is that it's very hard to realize you know well, what exactly is your income in any particular month. Normally, with time trades, you'd have like a far out option you're long and you're selling short term against it, and so until you kind of work through the whole cycle to get to your long option, you don't really know how much you made each month. So we trade everything in the front month about thirty days out. We, we we're trading a complex multi-leg position. So our, our structure is such that um, uh, it's chosen for adjustability. Um, it's fixed risk, so we're, we're not having any naked legs out there. But um, the reason we choose the structure that we do is so that it's adjustable. That's our whole key. We, we tend to have a bias in our trade, but um, that's less important than the, the adjustability.
1: Bias meaning bullish or bearish at a particular time?
2: Exactly. So uh, we may go into a trade with a bullish bias, um, but we're willing to, uh, through our adjustment process, have it switch to a bearish bias. So, and this options are, you know, uh, flexible trading vehicles. So they allow this. And that's one of the big advantages for us.
1: And so, what are the factors that make you adjust it from bullish to bearish or vice versa?
2: Right. So we, we attempt to, I teach uh, three different adjustment uh, methods in the course. Um, but the one that's preferred, one that I use and that most people uh, gravitate to over time is uh, using our smart levels. And smart levels are essentially uh, inflection points in the market where we can find um, uh, places where the market has to make a decision. In other words, um, through the auction process, uh, there's a lot of periods of time where the market is behaving kind of in a random manner, and randomness isn't really good, you know, for anybody, right? It's hard to predict randomness. But when the market hits certain inflection points where it's, you know, kind of discovered prices before, uh, the market has to make a decision, and so those, those become really important adjustment points for us. Um, you know, it's good for other sorts of trading as well, but. Um, you know, We want to kind of stay out of the randomness. And if we can just wait until these opportunities where the market has to make a decision, we don't necessarily know what decision the market's going to make. But um, those are the points where we want to adjust our trade. And, and it, I think it gives us an edge in our um, our method. Okay, so
1: when you say inflection points, are you meaning <clears throat> like support and resistance levels? I'm not sure exactly what you mean by inflection
2: points. Sure, I th- I think uh, you could see them as support and resistance levels, but um, basically, uh, in in the smart levels approach, we're essentially looking for auctions. So, you know, every day that. You know, we're we're looking at the markets in the aftermarket hours. We look at the trading for that day and we identify the auctions that happen during the day. We're essentially looking for a pattern. Um, now, it's a lot of times, you know, if someone was say pattern to me with trading, you know, my eyes would glaze over, you know, it's not something I'm really interested in, but um there's so many different kinds of patterns and and, and they're not very useful. But this is a pattern that happens every day. In other words, to me, it's like fundamental market behavior. So it's not like you're looking for like a head and shoulders pattern or something like that. It's very hard to see until it's passed. So it becomes very unuseful. Um, But this is something that just happens every day. And you know, I have people tell me all the time that they're like really surprised they never saw this pattern before because it's, you know, so obvious when you start looking for it. And these patterns then become the auctions. And what we do is we just put horizontal lines above and below those patterns. And because it was an auction, it was basically part of that price discovery process. And um, the next time the market gets to that price that it discovered, it usually has a reaction one way or another. Um, and so it's a pretty straightforward process and um, you know s- sometimes a level will re- will um, behave as um, you know support and sometimes it'll be resistance but we really don't know that till it gets there so we're not really depending on being able to predict what what's going to happen we just know those are times where we want to be engaged
1: I'm not totally clear is, is- is it very obvious to the person who's not a real, sophisticated options trader when a buy or a sell is, is reached?
2: Yes, whenever whenever we hit one of our adjustment points, we automatically adjust. So if the market's going up, we're going to adjust the structure of our trade to have more of a bullish bias. If if the market, instead, was going down and hit one of our smart levels, we'd adjust to um, a bearish bias. And it doesn't mean that we're always going to be right. Um, but we take a very proactive approach. We're not going to wait until our trade is in trouble before we adjust it, right? Because at that point, your alternatives are pretty uh, unattractive. Okay, very good. We're going
1: to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Richardson. Uh, He's an options trader and founder of ConsistentOptionsIncome.com. You can go to that website and find out more about his strategy. We'll be back after this. Welcome back, Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Richardson. He is an options trader and founder of ConsistentOptionsIncome.com. Welcome back to the show, John.
2: Great. Thanks, so Jordan. Once
1: again, at the website, uh, at ConsistentOptionsIncome.com, what can they get as far as videos and what can they sign up for there?
2: Sure. On my website, um, at ConsistentOptionsIncome.com, there is a a sign-up form for my free videos, and those are actually the first five or so videos in the course. Um, so it kind of gives you an idea about, you know, uh, why we trade the way we do. And then obviously in the course that you purchase, it kind of goes into the details of the rules. And 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 I also have about 48 different monthly trading videos in the course that we go through and we walk forward day by day, showing. Uh, people exactly how the profits were made in those months, so I think that's a real valuable piece of the course because you can get to the end of that and uh, you have a lot of confidence in the strategy instead of just you know somebody you know telling you what a bunch of rules are and that it's supposed to work right so uh, a lot of times the market throws things at you that you don't foresee you know based on your own background and stuff and so those forty eight monthly trading videos are real valuable I think. Uh, to helping how people much understand, course, if people
1: want to buy the course,
2: I say that again. Sorry.
1: How much is the course
2: for people who want to buy it? Sure, the course is seven hundred and ninety-five dollars.
1: Okay, and then uh, that's all you need. You don't need an ongoing subscription of any kind.
2: Exactly. Yeah, I I designed the course so that you know, essentially, I'm delivering tools to people so that they can um, you know start managing their own money uh, and create an income.
1: And what kind of success have you had? I mean, have you heard from students who are actually implementing it? What, what kind of success have you had?
2: Yeah, it's universally. I get a lot of good feedback. Um, the only people that that end up having some problems are the people who are very new to options. Um, I've kind of identified, you know, the the aspect that I think causes problems. And with options, a lot of times we're we're buying one thing and selling another, and we think of it as a single trade. And I think that's kind of a hurdle for some people who aren't used to options. or used to maybe buying or selling stock. They understand that, but when you're when you have you're buying and selling something at the same time and thinking about it as a single trade, it's a little bit of a hurdle. But once people get past that, uh, if if they understand option spreads at all, um, we're not really deviating that far from that. It's not it's not that hard for people to grasp.
1: So you are buying it as one trade like going long, going short at the same time at different strike prices or something. You, you say you're not doing calendar spreads, but you are doing spreads where uh, two different levels of the Russell at a certain point, and you, you have a, a bullish bias and you're going to buy more on one side than the other, or vice versa if you have a bearish spread. Is that the way it works?
2: Yeah, so um, it's a multi leg complex positions. So we're buying puts and and buying calls, but we're also selling puts and selling calls all at the same time. So uh, our trade, uh, we kind of build our trade in pieces. Uh, and we also have to kind of take it off in pieces because you can't execute more than four legs at a time with um, option brokers. So um, we kind of build up our trade and then... Um, you know, when it's, when we have our five percent target, then we we start taking things off.
1: How many legs are there in typically your trades?
2: More than four? Uh, yes, it usually be uh, six or more.
1: Wow. Uh huh. So, so you typically do that at the beginning of a month, and then during the month, you sell them off as they become profitable. Is that the idea?
2: Right. So, um, we try to get in sync with the options expiration cycle. So, we're always focused on the options that are about 30 days out. I kind of focus on the monthly options because the liquidity is a little bit better. Um, And so we're looking about 30 days out. So as soon as those monthly options are about 30 days out, that's when we want to be putting on our trade. Um, I do have a lot of traders who want to trade more frequently. And um, they use the weekly options. So in the Russell 2000 index options, there's it didn't used to be this way, but now there's a, usually a 30-day op, weekly option, almost always available. So when we get out of our trades quickly, they can sort of look out and find a new entry for a new trade. Um, I tend to like to only trade, make the trade once a month, because I kind of like being out of the market. It's kind of an underappreciated risk reducer. If you're, you know, if you're not in the market, um, it's harder for the market to hurt you. Um, and if there's a loss out there for this this trading approach, um, you know, the more you're exposed to the market, the more likely you are you to realize that loss. So I kind of think of it as creating my income for the month, and then I want to be on the sidelines till the next entry date. So just
1: so I'm clear, so you you have a 30-day option of just expired, and now you're going to the next month where you've got a 30-day window. You're gonna put on your trade with maybe five or six legs, and then during the month. Some of those legs will be profitable because the market goes up. Some will profitable when the market goes down, and you're taking a profit when one goes up, and then you're remaining the other one when the market goes down. You're taking. Is that the way it works?
2: Um, I don't really piece it out that way. We treat the trade as a sort of a whole, so we mm-hmm. kind of put it on, and we're looking at the the profit and loss of the whole structure. I think. And as we modify the structure, you know, um, uh, we, we still have to kind of figure out what our profit and loss is. And as soon as we hit that 5%, we're just going to sort of unwind everything. And we don't necessarily have to wait till expiration. Mm,
1: I see. OK, so you're doing it as a whole. Um, uh, yeah. So typically, if somebody wants to get into this, how many trades would they expect to be doing a month, if they're doing it on a monthly, not a weekly basis?
2: Uh, just one trade a month. That's that's our approach. Wow. Um, so we tend to do it a little bit larger in size. Um, you know, I kind of back into it. You kind of figure out what kind of income you want, and then you can uh, size your trades that way.
1: What would be the minimum that you would recommend people start with as far as a dollar amount to start getting into this a strategy?
2: Sure. So um, the minimum amount would be $4,000. So to trade one unit of the trade, I always talk in terms of one unit, and I teach it that way. But you can do as many units as you want. But um, we need four thousand dollars set aside to do one one unit of the trade. Um, we don't use up all the four thousand dollars in margin, um, but we need you know the cash component of that four thousand to uh, always be able to do the adjustments that we want to do. So, um, you know, we have to set aside four thousand dollars. So we figure our profit target off the four thousand. So for each unit, we want to make a two hundred dollar um, return.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So for somebody
1: who's doing this, uh, do they need charting software? Or what would they need to be able to track and to make the adjustments since you're not actually giving them uh, buy and sell trade notices? What software or system do they need to be able to track all this?
2: Yeah, your your broker software should provide just about everything you need. In other words, to actually do the trade, you really only need the options matrix you know, where all the options and dates are listed and to be able to put this trade on. Um, I have found over time that having a risk graph is really helpful to a lot of people. Um, so I would say that if your broker has a risk graph, that's a, that's a bonus. But you don't really need um, uh, any fancy software. Being able to have a, see an intraday chart helps us find our levels. Now, there's each day, we don't really trade on an intraday basis. But um, being able to see the market action uh, for any given day is helpful. A lot of brokers provide this for free now.
1: Uh-huh. So you're saying you're kind of putting this on, seeing what happens, but you're not necessarily making a prediction of which ways there might be a bias bullish or bearish. But you're not predicting what's going to happen. Why is it unwise to make a prediction and then kind of be unwilling to change your bias?
2: Right. So that's kind of an underpinning uh, is that we 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 assume going in that we don't know what's going to happen. Um, but we're willing to change our opinion. Um, one of the really good, one of, it's kind of a profound uh, statistical, uh, it's actually, I guess, a fact, it's so, so sound, is that um, a lot of people in statistics call it the Monty Hall problem. And in the mont I don't know if, do you remember the Let's Make a Deal yeah. show? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so in the show, Monty Hall used to, um, he'd have three doors on the stage. And there'd be a new car behind one of the doors, and he'd tell the contestants, you know, pick a door. But then what he would do is he'd open one of the doors that they didn't pick, and it'd be like an old mule or something. And then he would give the contestant the option to change their original decision. And it turns out that, you know, most people stuck with their original position. They thought maybe, you know, it was a trick or, you know, something like that. Besides, it's 50 50 at that point, right? That's what our brain thinks. but in actuality, when they started, they made they made a choice of one out of three. So they had a 66% chance of being wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so almost always, it's worth, in that game show at least, it's always worth changing the door. You would win 66, 66% of the time instead of 33% of the time. So this is kind of a statistical fact. And it's not necessarily obvious to us uh, as traders, right? So um, sort of an underpinning of my philosophy here is that we want to be able to change our opinion. And that's kind of hard to do if we're just long or short stock, right? If if we keep going from long to short to long to short, uh, it's very inefficient, and uh, we're probably going to lose money pretty routinely. So options give us this ability to change our uh, opinion. And I one of the analogies I use, it's kind of like A catcher's mitt, right? We're giving the market plenty of opportunity to hit our catcher's mitt, right? We we initially give a pitcher the target with our mitt, but then as the pitch comes in, we we have to be willing to to move it. Uh, And if we weren't willing to move our catcher's mitt, there's you know a lot of the 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 pitches are going to go past us. So um, that's kind of the idea is we're we're making it easy as possible for the market to give us a profit opportunity.
1: So if you do that. And say you've got five or six legs in your initial trade, and you need to do an adjustment. Are you going to be adjusting one or two of them? Or is it a completely new trade? What kind of adjustments are involved from that initial trade?
2: Yeah, usually our adjustments are ad- additional. So we, we add adjustments. And then as those adjustments either work or not, uh, we sometimes take them off. But the most adjustments in any given direction that we take are two. So only only do two. In any given direction, and then we wait for things to happen. And then, if things go contrary to our adjustments, we're willing to take those adjustments off.
1: You keep the original trade and add up to two new trades, which are kind of adjusting for what be what you've seen in the markets during the from from that from the time the trade originally was on to when you make the adjustments.
2: Exactly, that's just about right.
1: Uh huh. Very good. Okay, we're gonna take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman with the Money Answer Show. Um, my guest this hour is John Richardson. He's an options trader and founder of ConsistentOptionsIncome.com, a way to produce what he's aiming for 5% return per month, which I guess would be about 60% a year. Um, And so we're going to learn more about that after the break. uh, And we'll go to the break right now.
3: Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk—we can help. Call us now toll free eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero eight six six four seven two fifty seven ninety Voice America Business Network.
0: It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time.
3: From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network.
0: You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Richardson. He's an options trader and founder of Consistent Options Welcome back to the show, John. Thanks, Jordan. So you say that uh, options is a better way to go because the what you call the investment industrial complex has failed the average investor. Why has that failed the average investor?
2: Right. That that's a term that I use uh, fairly frequently. Um, it's kind of tongue in cheek. Obviously, you know, President Eisenhower saw this sort of perverse incentives between people who build, you know, the the generals' you know, tools for war. And the generals wanting new tool, tools all the time, so it kind of provides this incentive for war. And he kind of warned about it. And so I think some of the same dynamics are at play with the, you know, what I call the investment complex. Um, you know, I think most people think if they go to Morgan Stanley, you know, they're the experts, or Goldman Sachs, they, that they're experts. and They know something that we don't. And um, really, there, if you if you have been around a while, you. Begin to understand that those large investment firms—they make their money off of you know having more money to manage. They don't necessarily know anything that, but different than what we know. In fact, usually when they say something or predict something, they're almost always wrong. So um, they're really about gathering people's money and then taking a two percent, no matter what the market does. And they'll talk a good game and they will um, you know talk about very sophisticated things makes you think they know what they're doing. But they really don't know what's coming next any more than the next guy. So um, I think a lot of people, by the time they end up talking to me, they've kind of come to that conclusion. Uh, They figure, hey, I can lose my money just as easily as they can. Um, And so I think people are better served if they're managing their own money. And no one's going to pay attention to it uh, the way they would. And I think that regardless of what kind of uh, trading approach you're using, I think managing your own money is a much healthier way to go. And um if we understand that if you know Goldman Goldman Sachs can't figure out what's gonna happen next, you know, we probably can't either. And so we need a method that's more strategic and um you know leverages probabilities and whatnot as opposed to just kind of guessing and figuring out what the next big thing is.
1: So if the investment industrial complex fails people, why do people who try to do it on their own, buying individual stocks and bonds or mutual funds or day trading, why do they mostly lose as well?
2: Um, well, I think primarily uh, the mindset that people go into the markets with is kind of the same mindset they go into a casino with, right? They They, they end up if they whatever they're trying, they end up losing frequently, and then they they kind of it's kind of intuitive for them that hey, if I'm going to win at this, I've got to have some big wins to make up for all these times I'm losing, right? So most of the way people trade, uh, they start swinging for the fences. They're going for the home runs because they need them, because they're losing so frequently. So if we start off with more modest expectations, and um, we're looking for consistency, um, it's kind of like hitting singles and doubles. We're we're, we're we're not swinging for the fences so we're not going to have the you know glorious home runs but we're actually going to make money in the long run because our expectations are a little bit more modest and we're sticking with much more high probability type of trading approaches
1: so for some people it's psychologically difficult uh, to change their mind they bought a stock it starts going down they still think it's great they want to let it, they kind of ride their losses down sure. so what, uh, why is Changing your mind not necessarily
2: a bad thing. Well, even in that scenario, right? At some point, it may be that that stock's going to keep going down, and it might be worth changing your mind. Um, The problem with focusing just on a single stock is that um, you know it can go back and forth, Um, and so options provide sort of a a a, an envelope of opportunity as opposed to a single opportunity. And so, you know, it's a stock. Your single opportunity is that it's going to go down or go up if you bought it, right? And your, your, your risk is almost equal to whatever your potential profit is on the downside. So, with options, you know, the game is a little bit more complex. It's kind of like all of a sudden now you have that third dimension in chess, right, to, to work with. Um, so, um, options, I think, provide us that opportunity.
1: For the most part, you think predicting the future is a losing game. And as you say, the, the, the fancy people, the Goldman Sachs of the world, don't do it well. But what is it about people that they think they can, can do it, they can predict the future and therefore make investment decisions based on that?
2: Well, I mean, um, you know, the market rewards people who get the future correct, right? I mean, it's probably the, the best way to make money in the markets. problem is if you try it, you realize how, how hard it is. And um, and you kind of have to conclude come to the conclusion that nobody knows what the future is, and so you have to if you're going to make money, if that's your goal, you have to have something that's a little bit more strategic, um, and 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 provides you multiple ways to make money instead of just one or you know a single outcome.
1: Yeah. Now, in the options pits, there's kind of an auction process. Explain how the auction process works. To allow people to get good prices on the trades they're putting
2: in? Sure. So it's, it's just like, you know, that Sotheby's auction that you see on, like, James Bond or something, right? People are, like, bidding on that priceless painting. And there's usually, like, you know, it starts off slow usually. And, you know, there's a few bids here, a few bids. And then all of a sudden there's a sort of frenzy in the middle where everybody's bidding against each other. And then pretty soon... There's just like one or two left, and then finally there's that last person, you know, and it's going, going, gone, you know, sold to so and so. And um, uh, this is the highest price possible for that painting in that room, right? Uh, Everybody else thought the value of the painting was something less than that. So the person who actually wins the bidding process is kind of viewed as a sucker to most everybody else in the room because nobody else was willing to pay that much. And so the market exhibits the same sort of behavior. You see this sort of low volume as auction to start. You see um, sort of a frenzy where everybody's kind of bidding it up. and then you see that sort of low volume top or whatever. And I think a lot of people mistake that top, you know these interim tops in the market uh, as they'll think, okay, well, the buyers were buying a lot, and then all of a sudden the sellers came in and started selling. But really when a market makes a top like that it's really just that we've run out of buyers the same way we do in an auction. And so I think just having this mindset it's kind of fundamental to the way the markets behave. And you know in early in my career you know people used to tell me well the the markets are a price discovery mechanism and I had no idea what that meant. And so I think these auctions are kind of the way the market dis- discovers prices. It doesn't mean they discover every price that they hit during the day, right? Um, they're discovering these ends of the auction, either uh, you know, buying auction to the top or the selling auction on the way down. And so, if you know where these points are that the market's discovered, um, they tend to, to have an effect. And you can see that, uh, you know, I have some videos on my website. I think some of my free videos go into this a bit as well. And you can just see the market how it's it it's. Uh, you know, either repulsed by these levels or attracted by them, and so everything in between we want to avoid because it's going to be more random. It's going to be in that that group, that frenzy where everybody thinks there's value, right? It could go any way, but when it hits these price prices that have been discovered, now there's there's some opportunity, and um, that's where we want to become engaged.
1: So, how do you take advantage? Understanding. The auction system, as you just explained it, and knowing that's what's going to happen in advance, how do you take advantage of that to either buy or sell or price options?
2: So, um, as as the market's coming up to one of these infliction levels, we we might think that you know the market's going to continue um, to the next uh, level up, right? Usually, if the market breaches a, a smart level, it's going to be attracted to the next level up. But we know pretty quickly uh, if that doesn't happen. So in this particular trade, our options income trade, um, that's the way we play it. We basically say, okay, the market's hit this one level. Now it's going to be attracted to the next level up. But we know pretty quickly if that isn't the case. And so we can sort of unadjust uh, our adjustments. So is this based
1: on volume, if, if there's a lot of volume? it's going to move to a higher level, but if there's not a lot of volume, it will not?
2: Uh, no. Um, volume is, I, th- I think it's at the root of the pattern that we're looking for, but we don't need to look at volume when we're trading.
1: You're just looking at the actual level. Because you were saying that yeah. this, this frenzy as you described it, it's uh-huh. kind of like volume, right? It's a lot of people getting involved in the trade. Yes. And when the volume goes down, it, it's reached its level as you kind of described in the auction. That doesn't apply to options, like you saying?
2: Um, the, the old, it's it's at the root of the auction process. Yes, you're correct. Um, and if you have tools, there are tools out there that will. Let's say you you took the pattern that I'm just that I teach in my course, and you put this tool over that pattern, you'll see that there's a lot more volume at the prices in the middle of that pattern than there are at the top or the bottom. Okay, so volume is or lack of volume is what creates the pattern. Um, So even though there's tools to look inside and see the volume at the different price levels, we don't really need them because we know what the pattern is. It always exhibits the same pattern. So um, uh, volume is very important. But when we're actually trading, we've put these um, horizontal lines above these auctions the night before. And so we know the price levels at which we'd want to adjust the next day, and we don't really have to, you know, go into a lot of analysis as we're yeah. trading.
1: Looking at the entire strategy you have, what percentage per, per month, since you're basically doing one trade a month, tend to be profitable? Is it like ninety percent of it works out of the time or sixty percent? What would be a realistic expectation people should have going into this?
2: Yeah, it's 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 well over ninety percent. Um, and the reason is is that there's a lot of things that we do with this strategy to make it consistent, right? That's the whole, if you're going to do something for income, consistency is the mother's milk, right? That's like the essence of what you're doing. And so what we what we do is we start with a pattern, or excuse me, a structure that's adjustable. This is key, right? We go into the trade planning to adjust it. This is something that most traders don't do, right? They, they have go into a trade, they've planned it out. And then they just sit back and hope that it works, right? A lot of times when they, they'll get into trouble, they'll decide they want to adjust their trade, but that's usually too late. There's not very many good alternatives. Also, we um, you know, we have a, a structure that has a large potential profit, but we're only targeting about five percent of that. So this makes it much easier to do. There's a lot of options trades that are high probability. Um, but the the potential loss is much much bigger than the pretend, potential gain, and so what they have to do is they have to wait around till get they get eighty percent of their potential profit, and and that makes them wait around a lot longer, and that gives the market a lot more opportunity uh, to hurt them. So the structure, the the sort of proactive adjusting, and the profit target all help increase our probability of making a profit on any given trade.
1: Very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is John Richardson. He's an options trader and founder of ConsistentOptionsIncome.com, which you can take a look at to get more details about the strategy we are talking about here, which is to get 5% a month uh, through uh, these options trades. We'll be back after this.
3: Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at Voice TRN or Twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is John Richardson. He's an options trader and founder of ConsistentOptionsIncome.com. Welcome back to the show, John.
2: Great. Thanks, Jordan.
1: It seems like you're doing the opposite of what most options traders are doing, which is kind of large event risk. They want to take over, they want they need something to happen fast before the options expires. And then they can make a ton of money. Or if it doesn't happen fast enough, it expires worthless. It seems like that's the opposite strategy of what you're talking about. Is that correct?
2: Yes, very much so. I, I had a booth at the Traders Expo in um two thousand eight and um there was, you know, obviously a bunch of vendors on there that that had options courses and materials and stuff. And all the options booths were, you know, declaring 1,000% profits, you know, <laughs> which, you know, it's possible with, like, you know, buying uh, puts and calls. And I, I was there with my meager 5%. And so it, it, it usually takes a more experienced investor or trader to appreciate a 5% return, uh, especially in a sea of people promising, you know, 1,000% returns. But I, I think if you followed anybody that was uh, going after 1,000% returns, uh, they probably weren't very successful.
1: <laughs> so, part of options is uh, time decay, meaning it's an expiring, right? I like to call it a kind of a melting ice cube. Uh, it, over time, it melts into nothingness. Um, that can work for you or against you. How do you use time decay uh, to, to make your trades profitable?
2: yeah that's that's a great question. Um, so uh, we when I first started doing this trade, um, I thought about it as a time decay trade. In other words, we were we sell a lot of premium, so there's a lot of opportunity for uh, to make money from time decay. And you know time decay is a wonderful thing about options, right? All we got to do is wake up, and if we've sold some options, they they decrease in value, right? And so I thought of it as a time decay trade, and we did all these other sort of adjustments to sort of protect our credit and protect that that time decay. Because in those sorts of trades, you know, large market movements, either direction can hurt you. Uh, and so I thought about it that way in terms of time decay with these directional adjustments. But I've come around to kind of think of it more as a directional trade, because most of the time we're making our money uh, from directional movement. And so the way I see it now is more so that it's sort of more of a directional trade But the time decay makes up for the inefficiencies of like changing our opinion on the direction, right? So as we make those adjustments, um, you know, uh, it it can be kind of inefficient. And so, while we're trying to make this work, we get the time decay helping us to keep us uh, profitable. So it's it's definitely a, a significant aspect to the trade, but it's you know part of a complex approach.
1: But if there's a big move one way or the other, bullish or bearish, time decay works against you, right? You're 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 out of the money, or you're you're losing if you have a big move one way or the other. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, it's not it's not so much that it works against you, but the 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 structure of the trade uh, will lose money on big directional movements. Um, so. We overcome that with our adjustments, which are directional. So as long as we have an opportunity to adjust, and this kind of goes back to our discussion in the beginning why we choose the Russell 2000, uh, because it gives us better opportunities to adjust without these large gaps. So as long as we have the opportunity to adjust, we don't really mind large directional movements. So that's, that's kind of different than most income traders, right? Most people who are doing like iron condors or diagonals or things like this. If they just sort of put it on and sit back and hope that it works, they really don't want the market to go anywhere. Um, so we don't mind if the market goes anywhere. In fact, large movements can be very good for us. But we just have to have that opportunity to be able to adjust our trade. That's kind of a key.
1: So after there's a big movement up or down, how do you know how to adjust it? I mean, that could be the beginning of a big move up or a big move down, or it could just be a, a temporary thing. How do you know how to adjust it when there is a big move up or down?
2: Well we're we're hopefully I mean the way it pans out most all the time is hopefully we're adjusting our trade when there are small movements and then as soon as that large movement it, it, uh, you know happens, uh, we're going to be taking our trade off because we'll have our five percent. So we don't want to you know wake up and then have the market having you know, like a huge gap down um, and we're biased in the other direction, right? So that would be bad for us, but typically, what happens is if you go back and look at large market events like 1987, even 9/11, surprisingly enough, the market was going down into 9/11. So we would have had a pr- plenty of time to uh, adjust our trade, uh, and we would have been in a short bias. Uh, I wasn't trading this in, you know, 2001, but um, you know. If you go back and look at large market movements, there's usually a downward bias going into them.
1: Now, most many options traders use selling covered calls uh, as one way to get income and also selling naked puts where they receive the premium and then they hope the stock doesn't go down so they don't have to be exercised. What is wrong with uh, selling covered calls and buying naked puts as an income strategy?
2: Uh, Nothing at all. As a matter of fact, most of my capital is um, put to work that way. In fact, I have a course that I'm putting the finishing touches on um, because a lot of people ask me, "Okay, great, you have this income strategy. What do you do for um, uh, wealth building?" And that's primarily what I do: is I have short stock and I have long stock, and I sell options around it. So it's it's your basic, you know, it's basic covered call approach. But I think there's a lot of Reasons people get disenamored with um, um, you know covered calls per se, and so if you can um, make a few tweaks you know change your mindset a little bit on on what you're trying to do to sell premium around your assets, which could be long or short stock I think uh it's a great approach
1: so what what is the mistake that most people make when doing covered calls um
2: I think kind of it has a it's more of a mindset um one of the things people think is, oh, well, I'm just going to sell a call against my stock, let's say, and then if the stock gets called away, I get to keep the premium from my call. And they assume they're kind of keeping this premium all the time. And you know, you're really not. You're you're losing money on your short calls. Um, and so it's important to realize that in how you start dealing with the trade. There's no reason to wait until expiration. Um, also, what happens typically? I, I talk to lots of traders, and I think. You know, one of the phenomena is what people will do is they'll 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 sell calls against their stock and the stock's going up and they're doing well. And then all of a sudden the stock has a big move down and they look at their broker statement saying, Look, I lost money on this call, I lost money on this call, I lost money on this call, and then I lost money on the stock. Right. And so all of a sudden they're like, Why am I doing this? Um, and so you know, because if the market's going up, you're losing money on your calls, and that's good. That's a good thing, right? That's what you want to happen with a, a covered call. So it's important to kind of get your 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 thinking straight. And um, I think one of the keys is not waiting till expiration to adjust your trades.
1: And then a lot of people recommend collars, where you've got kind of one direction, you have a little bit of insurance on the other side. What what is wrong with doing collars?
2: Yeah. I, it's it's one of the things that kind of sticks in my craw a bit, cause, and and in my course I have a big section. Uh, in fact, it's on the what'll be I guess the free part of uh, my. Uh, I'm I'm actually you know this course should be coming out soon, and I call it my guns and butter trade, um, but. Uh, I have a big section in there about puts because it makes sense. I mean, I understand why people would want to do that because what they're doing is they're looking at their covered call, right? They get to sell premium against their stock, but then they have unlimited or at least 100% downside risk on their stock. And so they want to protect that and right. they buy a, buy a put to do that. Uh, but the problem is it undermines the whole approach for selling premium against your stock. Um, all of a sudden, it becomes more of a directional trade, in other words. You're essentially saying, I'm going to sell calls to write down the cost of the put. And so at some point, I will have paid for that put, maybe, which doesn't usually happen. Um, And then I all of a sudden I'll have this sort of risk, no risk to the downside. But in order to sort of profit from that, you need sort of an outsized move to the upside. And so what you're banking on is essentially the home run, right? Mm -hmm. And, And it takes months to get there. And then if you don't get the home run or the stock goes down, maybe you don't lose a lot. But you've lost all this opportunity uh, to make money in the middle. In other words, if you, you think of it like a bell curve, you're essentially with a collar type of approach. Um, you're hoping that it goes outside of you know a one standard deviation movement. And with a covered call approach, you're really banking on the fact that the stock stays within. A, a one standard deviation movement most of the time. So it's really, it, it's changing the complexion of the trade. You're not just fixing the risk on a covered call, you're changing it to a completely different trade type. And and it's much harder to make money on that. Interesting. Because those are
1: usually marketed as the safe way where well, you don't right. need a home run, where in fact, they are where you need a home run. Well, very yes. good. Well, yes, thanks say- so much. Go ahead. I, mean, I have to close the show, unfortunately. So thank you so much for my guest this hour has been john richardson he's an options trader you can find out more about him at his website which is consistentoptionsincome.com and learn all about the strategies we talked about on the show today thanks so much for being a guest on the money Answer show john
2: all right thanks jordan thanks for having me and keep up the great work with the podcast
1: thanks so much and we'll be back next week with another edition of the money answer show goodbye for now